The text I've picked for the sermon this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 22, the verses 9 to 11. Deuteronomy 22. You find in this chapter a whole uh, series of various laws uh, concerning life in Israel. And then beginning at verse 9, the following, You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together, You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen, mixed together. So far, the text. Beloved people of the Lord, congregation, our text then is about Old Testament laws prohibiting the planting of two kinds of seed and the plowing with two kinds of animals and wearing clothes made of two different kinds of fibers. What were these laws about? Why did the Lord give these regulations to his people in the Old Testament? And what would these laws mean for us today? as New Testament people of God. Well, in Article 25 of our Belgian Confession, we confess the following, that the ceremonies and symbols of the law, and then we think of the ceremonial law as we just read part of it too, the ceremonies and symbols of the law have ceased with the coming of Christ, and that all shadows have been fulfilled so that their use ought to be abolished among Christians. So we don't have to worry a whole lot if we're wearing clothes made of cotton and polyester. We're not going against the law. The use was abolished among Christians. However, this article of our confession then goes on to state that we still use the testimonies taken from the law and the prophets for two purposes. We still use these shadows in our text for two reasons. And first, to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel. In other words, to show us what Christ has done for us. And in the second place, in order to order our life in all honor according to God's will and to his glory. In other words, they show us how to live in thankfulness before God as Christians today, too. And with that in mind, I proclaim to you the word of God as we find it in our text for this morning with the the law of Moses. In the law of Moses, under this theme, God forbids his Old Testament people to mix different seeds, animals, and fibers. We see two things, how these laws confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel, and secondly, how these laws teach us to order our life to God's glory. So first of all, how these laws confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls, obviously those three laws which Moses gave to Israel in our text, they belong together. That's a unit. 
In verse 9, Moses commands, You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. Now, this law is a kind of a further application of the same law which you find in Leviticus 19, verse 19, given to Israel at Mount Horeb already. Moses, you remember, is repeating the law here in Deuteronomy just before the Israelites are entering the promised land. But the, the Lord in Leviticus 19, verse 19 says, you shall not sow your field with mixed seed. And Moses repeats that in our text, but then he even sharpens it in the text. Leviticus 19, it's stated it's wrong for an Israelite to mix different seeds like oats and barley for sowing in his fields. There had to be a separate plots for each type of grain, each crop. In Deuteronomy 22, Moses repeats that law for Israel, but then applying it specifically to a vineyard. Quite often, you know, while the grapes were still ripening, farmers in the Middle East used to sow other things like grains between the rows of vines. So when Israel might, might have thought to himself, you know, after uh, the, after Horeb, the law was given at Horeb. Well, I'm not supposed to sow mixed seeds in my field, but maybe I can sow oats and barley together in my vineyard between the rows of, of the vines. Moses cuts that kind of reasoning off in Deuteronomy 22 and applies that law of Deut Leviticus 19, and he says, no, wait, not even between the vines in your vineyard may you sow mixed seeds at all. And if you do sow mixed seeds, then the whole yield of the crop and the vine will be defiled, can't be used for food. No mixed seed at all. No mixed growth in Canaan's soil. And then there's that law, verse 10, relating to animals. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Now, if you've ever seen pictures of agricultural life in the Mid Middle East, you may have noticed it's not unusual to have an ox and a donkey or maybe even a camel yoked to the same plow. Poorer farmers used to, and they still plow that way. They can't afford two oxen, so they work their fields with a mixed team or span. That was not permitted in Israel by the Lord. The ox was a clean animal, for instance, and a donkey was an unclean animal. And then there was the third law in verse 11. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. And that law, by the way, also mentioned in Leviticus 19. You know that when you, you look at the tag on your clothing, it often tells you that the item of clothing you're wearing is made up of so much percent polyester, so much percent cotton, or, or so something like that. Usually, two types of materials... While it was forbidden for the Israelites in the Old Testament to wear clothing that was made of so much percent linen and so much percent wool, they were not supposed to wear clothing made of two different kinds of fibers. So we have three specific commands here, congregation, which Moses gave to all of Israel before, just before they were going to enter the land of Canaan. Why were those laws given to Israel there? to improve and safeguard their natural life. I don't know whether those three laws would have benefited the Israelites in any specific way when they moved into the promised land. Maybe it was good genetic sense or good for the soil in some way that they couldn't sow mixed seed in their vineyards. 
Maybe it was kindness to animals that you weren't allowed to yoke stronger animals with weaker ones. Maybe cloth of one kind of stuff was more durable or so, but we can only speculate about the natural benefits of those laws for those days. But we don't have to speculate about the spiritual meaning of those three laws. All three Old Testament commands were intended to teach Israel and to remind them in their everyday life of a spiritual truth. The law, says Paul in Galatians 3.24, talking about those laws in Deuteronomy 2 then, was, our, was the Jews' tutor to bring them to Christ. In these Old Testament laws, in other words, God was treating Israel like a child who still needed to look to learn what the coming of Christ meant for them. So those three laws forbidding the mix, mixing of certain kinds of things, seeds, clean and unclean animals, kinds of cloth, had the purpose of teaching Israel spiritual truth. And that spiritual truth congregation was this. God in his grace had chosen and called Israel to be his own special, holy, separate people, to be a people for himself called out of darkness into his wondrous light, the light of his grace and love. A people from among all the other peoples of the earth to whom he promised redemption and everlasting peace. This is something that Moses reminded Israel about every time again in the book of Deuteronomy. The whole framework of the law in Deuteronomy that God had set Israel aside as his own special people a people promised everlasting joy and peace with him in the covenant of grace. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 and 14, verse 2, for instance, Moses says, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. What a privilege to be an Israelite then. God, in his covenant of complete grace, separated for himself out of the fallen and doomed mankind, a people to treasure for himself, a people to whom and through whom he promised abundant redemption from sin and everlasting blessings, a church chosen to everlasting life in Jesus Christ, we could say. And now, you see, two brothers and sisters, boys and girls, how by means of the law, and specifically then those three laws of our text, God taught and reminded Israel constantly of his redeeming grace. When they were out in the field, when mother was sowing at home, every time an Israelite went out to sow his field or vineyard, he had to remember just one kind of seed, no mixing, separation. And every Israelite who yoked his animals to the plow, to plow his field in, in the spring, had to remember one kind of animal, no mixing together, separation. And every Israelite woman, when she made an item of clothing, had to remember one type of fabric, no mixed materials, separated. And in those three instances, then, the God of the covenant was teaching every Israelite, remember how privileged you are, for your God 
has separated you from fallen mankind. He set his heart on you and to love you and to redeem you and to be your God forever. The Lord separated you from all others to be his church, chosen by grace in Christ to everlasting blessings. That was the amazing thing that every believing Israelite was taught and reminded of when he kept seed and his beasts unmixed when the, she kept the cloth for clothing unmixed. In the words of Article 25 of the Belgian Confession, by means of those laws, God was daily confirming his Old Testament people in the doctrine of the gospel of his saving grace. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we have this testimony of the law of God for Israel in our text, also to confirm us today in the doctrine of the gospel of God's grace. Sure, the use of those laws has been abolished, as we mentioned. We probably all wear clothing made of so much percent cotton and polyester or something like that. We don't need to keep these kind of laws for instruction in God's grace anymore, for that grace has been fully manifested for us in Jesus Christ. In the flesh, his crucifixion and his resurrection and his righteousness, perfect sacrifice, he is the love of God and the grace of God in person. Nevertheless, the truth and substance of those three Old Testament laws remains for us today. And that truth and substance is that we understand that God chooses in Christ in his grace in Christ, a people for himself, who he separates out of all the people of the earth, and to whom in his mercy, his great incomprehensible mercy, he promises everlasting life and blessings. And in those three laws, then, we see the truth of what we confess in Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism. I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his word and spirit, not, not by the laws of the Old Testament anymore, in the unity of true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life, and I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. A church, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, as Peter calls believers in 1 Peter 2 that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In 2 Corinthians 6, which we read earlier on, Paul says to the church in Corinth, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And that's what he says to the New Testament church. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's the doctrine of the gospel taught to us today in those three laws of our text too. Realize how gracious God has been to you, how privileged you are, because he in his sovereign grace has separated you of all people from all who are perishing in the world to receive the promises of salvation and everlasting life in Christ. And that should fill every covenant member, every covenant child with deep humility, awe, gratitude, what a magnificent birthright. Me, lost sinner, like everybody else in the world, taken by God, separated by Him, set apart for salvation, to live with Him forever. Amazing grace. 
that saved a wretch like me. Isn't that the ultimate motivation to do what God says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17 too? Therefore, it says there, therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And with that, we come to the second point of the text, how these laws teach us to order our life to God's glory. Congregation, those three laws of keeping separate teach us in the Bible as they taught and reminded Israel in, in practice of God's separation of his people from all others for himself in his covenant of grace. But there's more. Those laws were also intended to show Israel how they were to live as God's people. They taught, they reminded Israel to keep separate from all sin and uncleanness and defilement which they would encounter when they went into Canaan among all those other peoples in Canaan. They were to be a holy people separated to God in their daily walk of life. No mixing of two kinds of seed even in your vineyard. That law not only proclaimed the gospel of God's separation to life in the covenant of grace, but was also a call to Israel then to keep separate from the godless practices of those other nations around them. The law of no mixing of seed planted in the field or vineyard was God's call to every Israelite not to let dualism in their lives. Not to try to mix the serving of God with the serving of Baal or any other gods in their lives. No mixing either of righteousness with unrighteousness in your life then. And therefore you realize we can apply that to today too, right? You know that sowing seed in the New Testament is confessing and proclaiming the gospel. You know you're spreading the word. The seed falls in the soil and then it grows and it bears fruit. And the soil in those parables of the Lord Jesus is then the heart and the soul. So to apply this to you yourself, and, and you can think here to yourself and your children. To apply this to yourself and your children, it means you shall not sow two kinds of seed in your heart, your own heart, or your children's heart, you shall not sow in the hearts of your children two kinds of thoughts, two kinds of principles, two kinds of service. You know, a child's heart is like that soil between the vines in your family. Plant a seed in it, and in time it'll grow and bear fruit. You don't know how except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Teach a child a song, a song, or speak with that child about your joy in the Lord, and you're planting a seed. And after a time, you notice growth, and later you'll see fruit. But let that child hear cursing from your mouth or see idolatry in your life. That, too, will grow and bear fruit. Only now, the fruit of unbelief and bitterness. No sowing two kinds of seed in your vineyard. You realize that what that this law is for us today, 
a call to a consistent Christian instruction in the home, in word and deed. And it's also a call, if at all possible, to establish reformed education where everything taught is consistent with what is taught in home and church. No two kinds of seed. If your children hear from the Bible reading at table in your, in your home how Jesus admonished the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, and then there's dead formalism in your home and hypocrisy, that's sowing mixed seed in your vineyard. If your children learn in catechism with Lord's Day 41 that all unchastity is cursed by God, but then you watch with them all kinds of adultery on television or movies, that's sowing two kinds of seed in your children's hearts. Or if you sing with your children in church the words of the well-known hymn 66, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, and then the home is full of strife and discord, you're sowing mixed seed in your vineyard. And you shall not plow with an ox or a donkey together. The Apostle Paul had that law in mind when he was writing 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You see, there was a wrong kind of mentality in the church in Corinth. There were serious sins in the church there. Immorality, division, brothers going to worldly judges to settle differences and a lack of love for each other. Why? Well, it hadn't come to a radical break with heathen, heathendom and its practices and, and its way of life. And it had to come to that. For the church is the temple of the living God. And that's the motive to purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, as Paul says in chapter 7, verse 1. That meant not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And Paul has in mind here the clean ox and the unclean donkey mentioned in Deuteronomy 22, and he applies that to the Corinthian church members. Do not be unequally yoked. And that all doesn't mean that we have to retreat into a closed little world in which we avoid dealings with unbelievers as much as possible. That's not the point. But it does mean, though, if a relationship with an unbeliever starts to draw you away from the Lord to take part in things that are not consistent with what your covenant God wants from you, your gracious covenant God, then you need to draw back from that relationship. For instance, if you have unbelieving friends who pressure you to skip worship on Sundays so you can go boating or something like this, then you need to become unyoked, separated from such friends. For as Paul writes, what partnership does a believer actually have in common with an unbeliever and darkness with light? You work among them, you live among them, but you still have to be on guard always that they don't draw you into something that your covenant God has said separates you from him and his people. And that means that at a certain point you might have to say to those associates, sorry, I don't do that kind of thing. And ultimately, sorry, I can't hang around with you anymore. This also goes for the young people looking for a life relationship, of course. The first question 
when you want to go out with somebody shouldn't be, is he or she good looking, cool? No, the first and foremost question, as uh, we learn from Deuteronomy 2, should be, is he or she an, a believer? Is their heart set on the Lord? Does he or she want to stand on the same basis as I do? Pull together with me in life. Can we pray together? Read the Bible together? Grow in the Lord together? Be responsible for the upbringing of, of covenant children together? That's what the command of our text about not yoking two different kinds of animals together before the plow means for us today. Don't forget, you're a holy people. Set apart by God for himself. Therefore, cleanse yourself of every defilement of body and spirit, says the apostle. And that brings us to that law against weaving two kinds of thread in one item of clothing. Now, it's interesting to think this through because the priests in Israel wore clothing made out of fine twined linen only. One fabric, linen. And those garments were called holy garments. They symbolized the priest's undivided devotion to the service of the Lord. No syncretism, in other words. No compromising of the holy service of God with godless practices in your daily life. No serving God and idols. No serving God and mammon. And the Apostle Paul uses the idea of clothing when he writes in Ephesians 4, as we read. He, he talks here he, like this. He says, and I'm quoting him here, put off, put off like a, a cloak, put off concerning your former conduct the old man, the old nature, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And somewhere else, this is called then putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, putting off the old nature and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's putting Christ on like a priestly robe of one fabric. And that means a true Christian walk of life consistently wherever you are. You, as it were, wear Christ wherever you go like an item of clothing made of one type of thread. It should be seen in you, cover you, the new nature being renewed in Christ. Oh, I know it's not going to come to that in this life, to the pure white robe which believers receive when they die in the Lord. But still, the call, the command is, you shall not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. And that means... Don't think you can cover yourselves with holiness and live in holiness at the same time. Wear Christ. Wear his holiness wherever you are and in all you do. Don't mix it with anything else. Let it be seen in you that you belong completely to him. Do you see, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, actually what a beautiful text that is in Deuteronomy 22. With those three Old Testament laws, sure, they've been abolished in Christ. He's the fulfillment of, of them all. Yet, those Old Testament ordinances of Moses do have a lot to say to us today, too. They confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel. 
We've been set apart in Christ, called out of darkness into God's wondrous light to be a holy nation, royal priesthood. And then those laws also teach us to order our life according to God's will and to his glory in all gratitude. Call us then to be a holy people separated from all unholiness in Christ. So in the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Amen.